Part One of Chapter Eleven of My Days and Dreams by Edward Carpenter. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Story of My Books. The fate of my books has been interesting, at any rate to myself. Leaving aside Narcissus and other poems, and Moses, a drama, which were written in early days at Cambridge and were only, so to speak, exercises in literature and efforts to vie with then accepted models towards democracy of course has been the start point and kernel of all my later work the centre from which the other books have radiated whatever obvious weaknesses and defects it may present i have still always been aware that it was written from a different plane than the other works from some predominant mood or consciousness superseding the purely intellectual indeed so strong has been this feeling that though tempted once or twice to make alterations from the latter point of view i have never really ventured to do so and now after more than thirty years since the inception of the book i am entirely glad to think that i have not it is a curious question and one which literary criticism has never yet tackled why it is that certain books or certain passages in books will bear reading over and over again without becoming stale that you can return to them after months or years and find entirely new meanings in them which had escaped you on the first occasion and that this can even go on happening time after time while other books and passages are exhausted at the first reading and need never be looked at again how is it possible that the same phrase or concatenation of words should bear within itself meaning behind meaning horizon after horizon of significance and suggestion yet such undoubtedly is the case portions of the poetic and religious literature of most countries and large portions of books like leaves of grass the bhagavad-gita plato's banquet dante's divina commedia have this inexhaustible germinative quality one returns to them again and again and continually finds fresh interpretations lurking beneath the old and familiar words i imagine that the explanation is somewhat on this wise that in the case of passages that are exhausted at a first reading like statements say of church doctrine or political or scientific theory we are simply being presented with an intellectual view of some fact but that in other cases in some mysterious way the words succeed in conveying the fact itself it is like the difference between the actual solid shape of a mountain and the different views of the mountain obtainable from different sides they are two things of a different order and dimension it almost seems as if some mountain facts of our experience can be imagined forth by words in such a way that the phrases themselves retain this quality of solidity and consequently 
their outlines of meaning vary according to the angle at which the reader approaches them and the variation of the reader's mind none of the outlines are final and the solid content of the phrase remains behind and eludes them all anyhow the matter is a most mysterious one but as a fact it remains and demands explanation i have felt somehow with regard to towards democracy that while my other books were merely subsidiary and mainly represented views and aspects this one with all its imperfections had that central quality and kind of other dimensional solidity to which i have been alluding and my experiences in writing it have corroborated that feeling i have spoken elsewhere about the considerable period of gestation and suffering which preceded the birth of this book nor were its troubles over when it made its first appearance in the world the first edition printed and published by john haywood of manchester at my own expense fell quite flat the infant showed hardly any signs of life the press ignored the book or jeered at it i can only find one notice by a london paper of the first year of its publication and that is by the old sixpenny graphic of august eleventh eighteen eighty three saying not without a sort of pleasant humour that the phrases are quote, suggestive of a lunatic ollendorf with stage directions end quote, and ending up with the admission that quote, the book is truly mystic wonderful like nothing so much as a nightmare after too earnest a study of the koran the saturday review got hold of the second edition and devoted a long article march twenty seventh eighteen eighty six to slating it and my socialist pamphlets desirable mansions etc as instances of quote, the kind of teaching which is now commonly set before the more ignorant classes and which is probably accepted in good faith by not a few among them a haphazard collection of fallacies to which the semblance of a basis is given by half a dozen truisms flavoured by a little carlyle ease or by diluted extracts of walt whitman such is the compound which quotes, cultivated socialism offers as a new and saving faith to the working classes and of which the works before us offer a good example End quote. then follow severe comments on my absurd views about usury and the manners and customs of the rich and finally a long quotation from towards democracy of which book the writer says quote, and this sort of thing goes on through two hundred and fifty pages the blank monotony of which is only relieved here and there by a few passages which it would be undesirable to quote and which it is not wholesome to read quote. the london press 
when it did deign to notice my work followed the same sort of lead and it was left as usual to comparative outsiders to make any real discovery in the matter curiously enough a very young man george moore smith in a long article in the cambridge review of november fourteenth eighteen eighty three led the way in drawing serious attention to the first edition the indian review william digby of may eighteen eighty five had a remarkably sympathetic and intelligent notice of the second edition and i owe much to my friend w p biles introduction of the book to northern readers through the bradford observer of march nineteenth eighteen eighty six also to an article by h rowlandson in the dublin university review for april eighteen eighty six with the third edition eighteen ninety two a certain amount of timid acknowledgment set in notices in a few more or less well-known papers were friendly though brief and cautious as with a scent of danger the fourth and complete edition did not appear till ten years later nineteen o two and by that time the book had established itself it had ceased to demand press appreciations favorable or otherwise and so the critics very luckily for themselves escaped and have escaped without ever having to give any sort of full pronouncement or verdict on the book to return to the first edition i had only five hundred copies printed but at the end of two years when i had gathered material enough for a second edition there was still a hundred or so of these on hand all the same i did not feel any serious misgiving i caused a thousand copies to be printed of the second edition two hundred and sixty pages sent them round to the press again and waited this was in eighteen eighty five if anything the reception accorded was worse than before in a sense worse because there was more of it by eighteen ninety two when i needed to print a third edition only some seven hundred copies of the second edition had gone seven hundred in seven years the prospects were not good yet i did not feel depressed i had certainly not expected any great sale and there were even signs of improvement my other books were beginning to attract a little attention it was obviously also hard on this book to have it published in manchester so i determined to go to london there was no possible chance of getting a publisher there to take it as his own speculation so i went to mr fisher unwin and asked him to print at my expense and sell it on commission which he naturally was quite willing to do the book had now grown to three hundred and sixty-eight pages and its price had to be raised from two shillings sixpence to three shillings sixpence but its sales actually improved and for two or three years ranged at about two hundred copies a year i began to think it was just possible that my little bark would navigate itself 
that it would float out on deeper waters and into the world current when something disastrous happened which left it in the shallows for quite a few years longer that something was the oscar wilde trial or trials which took place in the spring of eighteen ninety five but to understand how they affected towards democracy i must go back a little early in eighteen ninety four i started writing a series of pamphlets on sex questions those questions which at that time were generally tabooed and practically not discussed at all though they now have become almost an obsession of the public mind as pamphlets of that kind would have no chance with the ordinary publishers i got them printed and issued by the manchester labor press a little association for the spread of socialist literature on the committee of which i was the pamphlets were sex love woman and marriage and they sold pretty well three or four thousand copies each encouraged by their success i began early in ninety five to put them together and add fresh matter to them till i had a book ready for publication which i afterwards entitled love's coming of age this book i offered to fisher unwin as he was already selling towards democracy and he accepted it undertaking to produce the book himself and give me a fair royalty his agreement was signed in june eighteen ninety five meanwhile in january eighteen ninety five though dated eighteen ninety four i issued from the labor press and in the same connection as the other pamphlets a fourth one entitled homogenic love which i suppose was among the first attempts in this country to deal at all publicly with the problems of the intermediate sex i placed printed for private circulation only on the title page and had only a comparatively small number of copies struck off which were not sold but sent pretty freely to those who i thought would be interested in the subject or able to contribute views or information upon it my object in fact was to get in touch with others and to obtain material for future study or publication even in this quiet way the pamphlet created some alarm and in the dovecots of fleet street as i heard caused no little fluttering and agitation but it is quite possible the matter would have ended there if it had not been for the oscar wilde troubles wilde was arrested in april eighteen ninety five and from that moment a sheer panic prevailed over all questions of sex and especially of course questions of the intermediate sex i did not include homogenic love in my proposed new book nor had i any intention of including it but when the mere existence of the thing came to the knowledge of fisher unwin he was so perturbed that he actually cancelled his agreement with me with regard to the book love's coming of age and broke loose from it 
it was in vain that i tried to restrain him he had got his leg over the trace as it were and was off indeed he was quite willing to sacrifice the expense he had already incurred for the book was now partly set up rather than go on with it under the circumstances i could not of course very well compel him to publish moreover i felt sorry for his perturbation and quite understood some of its causes the extent of it was finally shown by his going so far as to turn towards democracy out of his shop and refuse to publish that any longer thus my two books love's coming of age and towards democracy like two poor little orphans were both out on the wide world again for the moment i will go on with love's coming of age being routed by fisher unwin I went to Sonnesheim, Bertram Dobell, and others, altogether five or six publishers, but they all shook their heads. The wild trial had done its work, and silence must henceforth reign on sex subjects. I may say here that I never happened to meet Oscar Wilde personally. There was nothing left for me but to return to my little labor press at Manchester and get the book printed and published from there which i did the first edition being issued in eighteen ninety six it is curious to think that that was not twenty years ago and what a landslide has occurred since then in eighteen ninety six no respectable publisher would touch the volume and yet today nineteen fifteen the tide of such literature has flowed so full and fast that my book has already become quite a little old-fashioned and demure but the severe resistance and rigidity of public opinion at the time made the volume very difficult to write the readiness the absolute determination of people to misunderstand if they possibly could rendered it very difficult to guard against misunderstandings and as a matter of fact nearly every chapter in the book was written four or five times over before i was satisfied with it love's coming of age ought of course like some parts of england's ideal to have been written by a woman but though i tried i could not get any of my women friends to take the subject up and so had to deal with it myself ellen key of sweden began i fancy about the same period writing that fine series of books on love marriage childhood and so forth which have done so much to illuminate the western world but at that time I knew nothing of her and her work. My book circulated almost immediately to some extent in the socialistic world, where my name was fairly well known. But some time elapsed before it penetrated into more literary and more respectable circles. One of the first signs of its succeeding in the latter direction took a rather amusing shape. I had one day to call upon a well-known london publisher 
who was already publishing some of my books though he had refused this particular one on business and having discussed the matters immediately in hand he presently turned to me and inquired how my love's coming of age was selling i of course gave a fairly favorable account i think he said in a somewhat chastened tone that perhaps we made rather a mistake in refusing some little time back to take it up a sunday or two ago i was at church probably a congregational or unitarian chapel and the minister quoted a page or two from your book and spoke very highly of it and actually gave the published address and price and all and i saw quite a lot of people noting the references down he paused and then added quite a good advertisement worth thirty or forty copies i dare say i could not help smiling no wonder he was sorry but the story gave promise of better things to come in nineteen o two the said publishing firm was glad to take the book up and publish it on commission for me which they and their successors have done ever since and its sale in england though not phenomenal like that of the german translation has i must say been very good to return to towards democracy considering its expulsion from mr fisher unwin's shop and the generally panicky condition of the book market in london there seemed nothing to do but to return to manchester and place it also in the hands of the little labor press for publication the two thousand or so copies remaining in unwin's hands were my property and i had only to remove them to manchester get a new title page printed and have them issued from there this i accordingly did and in eighteen ninety six the labor press edition appeared three hundred and sixty eight pages the same as fisher unwin's naturally the labor press connection was not very favorable as regards circulation and the price three shillings sixpence was high for socialist and labor circles the spread of the book remained slow slower of course than it had been with unwin and hardly amounted to a hundred copies a year this was bad but worse remained behind somewhere early in nineteen o one the labor press whose financial affairs had never been very satisfactory went bankrupt i knew of course what was pending and as the stock of towards democracy belonged to me and i knew that if left at the press it would be in danger of falling into the creditor's hands there was nothing left but to smuggle it away as soon as i could into some place of safe keeping mr james johnston city councillor always a good friend came to the rescue and offered me storage room in his office i hired a dray and so one foggy day with a good part of a ton of towards democracy on board which i helped to load and unload i jogged with the drayman through the streets of manchester amid the huge turmoil of the cotton goods and other traffic a strange load and i never before realized how heavy the book was
it lay there for some months and then about july of the same year i made arrangements with sonnenschein and company for them to sell the book on commission and the stock was transferred into their hands from that time its sales slowly went forward from a hundred or a hundred and fifty per annum in nineteen o two to eight hundred or nine hundred in nineteen ten then the sonnenschein business and with it my book passed into the hands of george allen and company in nineteen o two the fourth part of towards democracy that is who shall command the heart was published and in nineteen o five this was incorporated with the three former parts in one complete volume later in the same year i succeeded a long cherished project in producing a pocket edition of the whole on india paper which has ever since sold alongside and pari passu with the library edition thus after twenty-one years in nineteen o two these writings begun in eighteen eighty one came to an end and three years later the book took its definite and permanent form in print and binding and some sort of rather indefinite place in the world of letters end of part one of chapter eleven